This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. This episode of In the Arena was sponsored by Sales Gravy University. You know I'm good friends with Jeb Blunt, and you know he does great work, and you know he wrote Fanatical Prospecting, but you may not know that he created Sales Gravy University. And what is Sales Gravy University, you ask? And it's a great question. Sales Gravy University is sales training in your pocket. What you're going to get is an innovative training app that's going to help you accelerate your sales performance and improve your income, and it's in your pocket. It's on your phone, whether that's an iPhone or an Android phone. You can go out to the iTunes store and download the app, or you can go to the Play Store and download the app there. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the platform when you sign up, and you're going to be able to buy what you want. There's going to be in-app purchases there for you. You can purchase some courses for 99 cents, and that might be a short video, a tutorial, or an audio program. You're also going to find something that costs more. I think I have a program on there for $9.99, and it's how to plan a sales call. It's four modules. It's probably close to 25 minutes long, and it's content to help you set up success when you're going to do the most important thing that salespeople do, and that's go sit down face-to-face with a client or a prospect. Here's what I love about this platform, and this is where I think Jeb's genius comes in. This is spot training. So you're in your car, you've got a problem, you're going to go out, you're going to watch a video, you're going to read a tutorial, or you're going to listen to an audio track, and you're going to come up with the ideas that you need to succeed when you're sitting down with that customer. Or maybe this is part of your personal development and your growth, and you're going to listen to one module every week, and you're going to work on that module, and then the next week you're going to pick up something else and grow from there. Go check out Sales Gravy University. You can Google it, and you'll come up with the iTunes preview as the second link. You'll also find the link in the show notes or go out to the Play Store and search for Sales Gravy. I promise there's nothing else in the world called Sales Gravy and only a Southerner like Jeb Blunt who rides horses and eats steak and probably drinks whiskey is going to call something Sales Gravy because to a Southerner, nothing is real unless you can put gravy on it. Go check it out. When you get there, tell Jeb that I sent you and do check out the sales call planning module there. I think you'll love it and I think that you're going to find it super helpful when you go in to make a sales call. I am not a big technology guy. I'm a technology user. I love the tools and I use many tools in my day-to-day work. But I'm not a person who studies the tools and I'm not a person who's about building sales stacks and sales hacks. Max Altschuler is that person and he just wrote a book called Hacking Sales. And I picked the book up because I really wanted to understand how people are thinking about a sales stack. What kind of technologies are they going to use to enable their sales force? And part of this was my personal curiosity to say, how can I be more effective and more efficient in what I do? And part of it is I wanted to learn 
what other people can do and how they should be thinking about this. So I invited Max to join us here in the arena so that he can talk about hacking sales, about the technologies that you might consider, and about how we can deal with some of the fundamental challenges of selling today. In the arena, Max Altisher, Hacking Sales. Hey, Max, how are you? Doing great, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. We're going to have a good time here. I'm going to press you with a bunch of questions. We're going to sell the book, and we're going to talk about the conference. Excellent. So, you know, I'm technologically agnostic. So there are a lot of things. I mean, I'm super big into technology personally, Mm -hmm. but I don't do the kind of deep dive into all the tools and things that you've done a deep dive into. So I want to get into not so much the tools, but the strategies and tactics that you study. Yeah, I, I'm more of a face-to-face, complex sale. How do you develop the relationship? So I don't spend as much time. For people who are unfamiliar with a lot of the words and the vocabulary that comes out of Silicon Valley and all the tech startups that are coming out, I want to ask you to start by describing what is a sales stack? Yeah. So the sales stack is your stack of technology that you build into your sales process. And so when I started out in sales, I actually was tasked at building the supply side of a marketplace. So we had to onboard instructors to teach courses. So it had to be extremely done in a scalable manner. And to do that, we had to leverage a lot of sales technology and automation and tools. We weren't working on like massive deals with a lot of face-to-face. We were working with a lot of deals and we had to all move them quickly through the pipeline as fast as possible and as many as possible at once. And so we relied heavily on technology to help us kind of automate that process or enhance things that we were doing, optimized ways that we were doing it, and still using kind of the same tactics and strategies maybe in the actual sell, the actual person-to-person part of it. But in the back end, you know, kind of the mundane stuff that you do, logging things in your CRM and, you know, setting up your leads list and going out and finding contact information and going out and doing research on your prospects. A lot of that stuff has been enhanced by technology over the past two, three, four years I'd say more rapidly than ever before, especially with this whole boom in technology and startups. Would you say that the strategy then when you were with that particular company was to sort of automate the non-value creating yeah. parts of the process? So when you talk about inputting data into a CRM, if that can be done in one place and just fill out everything that needs to be filled out as a salesperson, I'm getting efficiencies back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're spending less time doing that, you could spend more time actually selling and, you know, there, there are other things like even doing research on a prospect. I had a team of virtual assistants in the Philippines, plus a couple of different pieces of technology that are, you know, pretty new. I mean, they weren't around two or three years ago. That helped me go out and do that research on, on these people and put it into a nice little dossier. So when I do come to that person, I have it all in front of me, right? Nice and easy, instead of having to go out and do it all myself. And that could save me a half hour per prospect. Do a sales stack for us and just start at the top of the stack and work to the bottom. And I know enough about you and your company to know that in the book, you're not being paid to promote anybody's yeah. anybody's tools. But yeah. just if you were just say, here's a set of tools that somebody might look at at each stage of the process, just walk through that so people get an idea of what we're talking about when we say a sales stack and what we're trying to uh, leverage. Yeah. So you're looking at your, you know, your CRM. Everybody's got a CRM somewhere to keep their contacts, their accounts, their organizations that they're working on. Then you have you know, the data that you're going out and, and collecting to contact net new leads. So, you know, you can use LinkedIn, Prospector, or even just a basic LinkedIn to go out and figure out what that organization looks like, what that structure looks like, and 
who you need to be in touch with. Then you can go use some tools that can attach onto that that'll help you find that contact info. And so there are tools that'll help you find that contact info through databases like Zoom Info. There are tools that'll let you do it through Chrome plugins when you see them on a website like Capture and Clearbit, Datanize, things like that. There's a tool called Datanize that also allows you to see which companies your competitors are using. So for example, if you are a company that sells a tool similar to or competitive with Marketo, wouldn't you want to know all of Marketo's customers and have all their contact information? I mean, that's a treasure trove of information for you. So that's another layer of your stack. Then there's the power dialer tools and the email automation tools. So when I say email automation, I mean, it's, it's really, they call it sales acceleration, email automation. It's just a way for you to send emails that can be templated, can be mass emailed, bulk uploaded. You can add a little bit of a personal touch to them, but it's still a little less than a one-to-one, but a little more than like a marketing email. And then, you know, obviously the inside sales, power dialer type tools, new voice media companies that allow you to call from local area codes and do obviously tracking and, and, and training on the, in the back end of that. Exec vision that lets you track your reps' phone calls and coach them on that. There's companies that uh, allow you to integrate into your CRM that show you who the, the leaders on the leaderboard are for your sales team. So there's a lot of different buckets of technology that are built into your sales process that a company could take advantage of these days that go a long way in making your sales team more efficient and more effective. We'll talk about the investment in that later on because I think that, you know, I, I've seen companies bolt on and bolt on and bolt on and not really ever capture the value mm. of any of the individual pieces. So I'll ask you later on to talk about what a responsible stack might look like. Let me get into the value creation part of using these tools and leveraging them to gain efficiencies as a salesperson or organization. So let's say you personally, if you were to have to research a prospect, what I call a dream client, I mean, somebody that you can create massive jaw-dropping, breathtaking, earth-shattering value. I mean, and you're looking at them just going, if I could get in, we're going to do great work together. What Mm -hmm. do you do to research that prospect? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think my entire process would be, okay, so if this is like a Fortune 500 company, I'm going to do as much work as I possibly can. And there is actually technology out there that'll help you understand how to navigate that organization to have the best possible chance of success. So it's like, these are the people you need to contact. This is what the deal triangle looks like. These are the decision makers. These are the end users, the people that are going to be affected by it. But you can do all that through some some different pieces of technology right now. And then also through LinkedIn. So making some, you know, even if you don't have the predictive tools, by using LinkedIn to kind of make an estimated, you know, best guess on who you need to get in touch with, go out and find that contact information, go and follow them on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, you know, I have a virtual assistant in the Philippines that pay $800 a month for her. And, you know, she'll basically pull together a dossier of this information. There's tools out there that'll pull together basic versions of that. She just does a much more robust job about going out and getting all the information. And you want not only information on that person as an individual, because people buy from people that you want to relate with them. You want to build that rapport. You want their information, you know, as an individual, but also the information as a company, information on their kind of pre-qualifying stats. So if you're looking at, you know, the BANT formula, what information is available on the internet that could kind of pre-qualify that person to say, okay, because they recently raised funding or X, Y, and Z, they might have the budget for this. Because there's an article out there talking about how they're going to double down on 
social and digital initiatives in 2017 from this person at the company, this title, that's a great article. There are articles like that that exist out there that tell you exactly that almost pre-qualify these companies. And now you just have to get to that person that's doing that. And so bringing that information together and having these VAs and these tools that allow you to do that make it a lot more efficient. You've got a hybrid approach then. So you're saying you're using somebody to capture, a human being to capture intelligence, as well as coupling that with some of the tools that you can use. Yeah. You find that's a more effective strategy than strict automation? Definitely. I mean, you could do it yourself manually. I think you always need a a hybrid. I mean, there's a lot of conversations out there with robots and things like that. And they're saying that they're going to take over American jobs. It's like there's you're always going to need that mix between the automation and the, the human side of things. And so I use the virtual assistants in the Philippines. I couple that. I actually, I, when we came up with sales hacking in the first place, it wasn't just technology. It was basically generating more value and revenue using less resources. And so that was human capital wise, which is the virtual assistants that technologically, that's financially, like how can you save money and do these things? There's a lot of different ways you can kind of hack the sales process and also psychologically. So anything you could do to make, either make your, you know, when you're a startup, make your company look more official or, or bigger, all the way down in the process to what are the things that you can do in the sales process, in the negotiations and in the, in the objections and the sell and all those different things to sell your product better using psychological advantages. A lot of people have seriously bad data hygiene. And mm-hmm. so, so when I look at sales organizations, there's a lot of names in a database but the data is no longer relevant or fresh and people have moved on. What do you do to improve the quality of your leads by improving the quality of your data? Because I think that the whole hacking, I guess, ethos is how do you do more with less? How do you get more done faster, more efficiently? And the keeping up of data is time consuming. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to really do that by hand unless you have more time. That would actually go against the idea of hacking. So what are the hacks to get real data that you can use so that when you are, let's say you're making calls, you know that the, the number's good yeah. and that the contact's good and that you've got that information? Yeah, I mean, data is the foundation of any successful sales process. And so you're only as good as the data that you have. Segmenting those lists you know, in the book we start at data. We start at the very beginning, whether it's net new data or it's data you have that you need to clean up. You know, there's companies out there like Ringlead, there's Bright Verify, there's a ton of different companies that'll clean any of your data that you already have, wash out the duplicate accounts, update the original data. There's you know companies like ZoomInfo and Better Data, Clearbit, Datanize, and a couple other companies that will give you better data for your CRMs and, and going forward, kind of like it'll connect onto your browser. So that when you're actually seeing somebody, you know, in LinkedIn or anywhere else that is at that company currently, you can go and pull their contact information. So it's very fresh information, but it all starts at that data. And then I think once you have that solid foundation, that's when you can really start going out and segmenting lists and doing all this stuff. But sales is, is and what we're going through right now, I, I say efficiency and effectiveness. Efficiency is a lot of this technology and automating things and making things more smooth. and the effectiveness is the training side of things and making sure that your reps still understand the basic principles and the way to sell your product and the way to go through a sales process, the organization that they should have in a CRM, things like that. And I think that's still from the management level. That's still something that you know, they need training for. Technology is only as good as the, the people who use it. And if they don't know how to use it, 
they're not going to be very effective. And so you definitely need to be on top of your team, you know, no matter how much technology they have, if they're not keeping their data organized and they're not keeping up with those accounts and that's not enforced in your organization, that's what's going to happen. This is the, this is the sin that's being committed right now, Max. I mean, there's a lot of people who think great automation is a substitute for a rep or, or I can substitute a rep at least for this part of it because I can automate this. I, and I worry about automating what we're trying to do is automate human relationships. And I continually tell people when sexting replaces actual sex, I'll believe that the robots have won and we're done here, but I'm long on human relationships. So, Let's talk about, I found one section of your book really interesting, and it's because I've always believed, and my experience has always told me, get in wherever you can get in. If somebody's going to give me a meeting and they're receptive and they've got enough authority in that area that I'm I'm comfortable with it, I want to get in. So you've got this idea about top-down and bottom-up targeting. Mm -hmm. Just share that framework, if you don't mind, so people get a taste of what's in that chapter of the book, because I think it's an important insight. Yeah, there's, so there's three different ways to get in. There's ideal customer profile, which is the perfect person in that organization that you want to get in touch with. There's the top-down approach, which is trying to go in through the highest level you can, whether it's the CEO or the person in charge of that job function or that product that you're trying to get into in the organization. And then there's the bottom-up approach, which is the end users. So for example, new companies like Slack out there that are selling, if you have a engineering team or a sales team, if you get one rep using Slack with you know, another person on that team and then it multiplies and it multiplies and eventually, you know, like Dropbox, for example, I have a Dropbox account. If I work at a company and there's 15 other people with personal Dropbox accounts, that Dropbox rep can call that company and say, hey, we already got 15 of your people on this. You should pay for a corporate plan. We'll get your whole organization set up. So that would be a bottom-up approach. The top-down approach is you go as high as you can. You can send an email asking for an introduction to the person that's responsible for the product value that you're trying to solve for. And then you get an introduction from somebody above that person, like, hey, your boss told you to speak with me. You're probably going to do it. And then there's the ideal customer profile. So there's the exact target that you're looking for you know, in the organization. And you really need to make a decision as to which strategy you want to pursue first. But if one doesn't work, you can find your way into other strategies. Yeah. And I, I think that's the useful insight in that is that there's more than one way to get in. Yep. And one way for one client doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way for the next. I mean, yep. you, you just have to find your way in. And I think that this ideal customer profile, so many people get caught up on that and think that if I don't get this person, I have nothing. They have lots of ways in. Yeah. You, you can find somebody. And there's some really awesome technology that, that's coming out now in sales that is actually, they found a way to take the Salesforce data and CRM data from all their customers' companies and then they can say, okay, these five companies that we work with all tried to sell into GE Health or something like that, that division of GE. This is how they did it. This is the ones that were successful. This is the route that they went. The ones that weren't successful, this is the route that they went. These are the people that have always been in on the deal and are actually creating a predictive model around how companies buy instead of how companies sell. And I think you'll start seeing more of that over the next year or two as these companies come out of stealth mode because you know that's pretty compelling. I mean, at the end of the day, you still need to do your work, but if there's anything out there that could help you get a leg up in that process, because that could be a tedious process, I mean, you can skip a pretty lengthy chunk of a deal cycle if you can get that right. 
we have to wait for AI to catch up a little bit. I mean, yeah. and, and I've had a lot of people reach out to want to show me their technology. And they said, we can predict where something is in the sales process. And all they're really doing is counting email communications. Mm-hmm. But there's no context. And until we can get the context, I think we're really paving the cow paths right now. Yeah. You know, we're just going over the same old ground. But we're pretty soon going to be able to do something very, very different and I think exponentially better with that kind of thing. Let me talk to you about email marketing. And let me just tell you a story. And then I'll let you comment on the story. And then I'll ask you to tell me what went wrong and how these people improve what they're doing. So I get an email that says, we're helping companies that look like yours, company name, company name, company name. Click this link to see what we're doing, blah, 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 sales guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't respond because it pretty much is spam for me. About three days later, I get another email. The first email is attached underneath the second email. And it says, I want to make sure you didn't miss this important link. Terrible. Blah, 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 sales guy. And I sent him back a note saying, hey, I'm not interested, but thank you. I appreciate it. And I sent him back a note just asking him to stand down. Three days later, I get another email. This email has got the first two emails pasted underneath it. And it says, we're still really interested in talking to you about this company. Don't miss this link, blah, 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 sales guy. Two days later, I get another email. It's got all three of the other ones pasted beneath. And I sent him a note saying, you know, this approach kind of sucks. And I think you need to rethink your, your strategy overall. Go buy my buddy Jeb Blunt's book, Fanatical Prospecting, because you're going to need to change your approach to reach people like me anyway. And uh, a few days later, I get an email from the rep saying, I didn't send you any of those emails. This was all sent from our, our CMO who has built this list and we target people this way and we send it. So I didn't even know any of these emails were sent to you. You're nodding your head. No, like this is wrong. Yeah. Uh, so tell me what Everything went wrong. It's so wrong. I mean, it's hard. It, first of all, it shouldn't even, it shouldn't come from marketing. Like that's, that's terrible. There's no touch there at all. And then even then, you know, the, the mass emailing is kind of not the point of the automation. The automation is supposed to make it easier for you to send these emails. And it obviously depends on the type of sell that you're doing. If you're, if you're going whale hunting and you have like 20 accounts or something like that, that you're working on a year and you're going after big deals, it's great to be able to see the visibility and like, did this person open it? How long did they read it for? What did they, what were they looking at? That's fantastic. That's what you use the tool for, but you don't use it to, to put together templates. If you have a larger territory and you really need to cover a little bit more ground, then even then you're still doing kind of like an 10-80-10 approach. And you're also segmenting your lists a lot more so you have multiple common denominators so that when you're contacting people, they have a lot of things in common. So for example, you would take you know, a list of a couple thousand prospects and you would say, okay, I need VPs of sales in Boston in the healthcare industry. And you can segment that list down and maybe now you're left with 50 people out of those you know, a couple thousand. And so you can send an, an email to those 50 that's a similar template. Again, it's created, the, the chunk, the body of that, that 80, is created for those people. So those like common denominators. So again, it's starting to look a little bit more personalized because you're hitting on those three things. The 10 and the 10 are the intro and the outro. Those are the personalized parts. Yeah. And so you know, if you have a good virtual assistant or you're creating a dossier, you can actually go out and find things that are that you can fill in those lines that are going to make it feel like you're building a rapport. You know, if I find somebody on Twitter who's checked into a bar and is, you know, watching the Patriots game and is commenting on the Super Bowl or something like that, and this is a week later, maybe that's something I go to build a rapport on. Hey, congrats on the big win. 
blah, blah, blah. You know, you can use that in your email. And again, you know, people buy from people. You want to contact them on the individual level first and then as an employee and then as a company. I like the 10-80-10 because I think if, you know, if I reach out to you and I say, Max, you got this conference coming up, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So you know who I am and it's really yeah. from a person. Yeah. So let me ask you, because you're an automation and you're a technology guy and you're a young dude and you're hustling and you're doing good work. But me saying something about, this topic is different than you saying it. So what do you think the risks are when it comes to automation? Where do you think the mistakes are being made and where people are really maybe overshooting the mark? There's not enough training around it. So it's so new that people are doing what you just described. First of all, sending it for marketing is like a huge no-no. What I see when people are using it wrong is just sales reps sending it the same way you were just describing And then it's no better than it just coming from marketing. It's basically the same thing. You don't need an SDR if you're just going to set up automated campaigns and let them fire, you know, 50 or hundred emails a day. Just don't hire the SDR. Just do it from, just do it from marketing. It's not going to do anything, but they need to be trained on how to use it right. You know, they need to understand the 1080 10. They need to understand, you know, what to put in the, the intro and the outro and then again, you know, if you're doing big deals or doing enterprise deals or doing 20 deals a year, like you're not using these tactics. Like you're going in, you know, there, there are a million things that you can do that are more worth it to do those bigger deals. As the risk, as the dollar amount, as the strategic outcome that's being pursued with a client increases, yeah. the less automation you're going to be able yeah. to do. I think there's a role for marketing, though. I think marketing can message, but I just don't think it's personal enough that it's actually nurturing. And as a rep, I miss the opportunity if I say, I'm going to let marketing do this for me, then Max never gets to know me. I never get to know Max. He doesn't even know that I exist because they keep getting this vanilla marketing message over and over. Marketing has a role. Marketing's role is to provide value for the SDR. So marketing's role is to say, okay, if this is how we're sending our emails. So like I said before, I'm going to segment VPs of sales, Boston, healthcare. Marketing's role is to go out and find collateral that is going to be interesting and relevant to that person, that individual, that person in healthcare. So it's like, here's a case study on how somebody in the healthcare industry is using our product. And then here's a link to something that's completely not our product related, that's just happening in the healthcare industry, that that person you're emailing might find valuable. And maybe you can have a conversation about that's not about your product. That's marketing's role is to go out and do all that work to figure out, okay, well, how do we supply our rep with everything they need to be successful and then let them go out and do their thing? If you have salespeople doing that, I mean, that's why like the sales enablement role, you know, it's a fairly new role, the way that it's being run right now has been created. It's like, it's not a product marketing role. It's just helping the salespeople be prepared for reaching out to these people. And if you can do it in a little bit of a scalable manner, you know, with the 1080, 10 and a little bit of the automation and using your marketing team to give you relevant content, you can do a lot. You can do a lot, but you got to know how to do it. That's, and that's the part we're missing right now. We got the tools came in. And over the last two, three years, but the training hasn't come in yet. And so, and I think a lot of people in leadership want to do more automation because they think it'll make it cheaper. And, you know, I've always, the, the principle, I think, for me, from my experience is the cheaper your sales force, the more expensive your sales force. I mean, you, yeah. you, if you're going to get the tools, then you got to do everything else. I got a couple more questions for you. Let me ask you about what you would do to prepare for a sales call yourself. You got a first sales call. What are you going to do to prep for that? <clears throat> yeah. So if I already have the call. I probably am already incredibly prepared. And I say that because usually a call is not the first way that I go. Usually it's through no, an email. No, let's say f- yeah. y- it's your first face-to-face meeting. 
It's your first face-to-face meeting. And let's say it's a big deal for you and you you need the deal. What are you going to do to prepare to, yeah. to, to meet somebody for the first time face-to-face? Yeah. So I want to know everything about their company, everything about if I know somebody else on the inside, I want to talk to that person you know, first. And, you know, if I know somebody you're, then you're back to getting human Intel again. Yes. Okay. Yeah. At this point, you know, you're about to set up for the first face to face. You're getting human Intel. The technology that you're using is mostly social. So you want to use social information to understand how that person likes to interact with others and what they are interested in. You want to know, obviously information about, you know, where they live, all those kinds of things. But I think the most compelling way you can use social these days is not only to find out, you know, what they're talking about, but how they're talking about it. I like to say that getting in the friend zone in dating is bad, but getting in the friend zone in sales is like you want to get there as fast as possible. You want to develop that rapport and that like casual demeanor with that person as fast as you can so that you build that trust. So when you're talking to them, they don't feel like they're getting sold anymore. They feel like they're having a conversation with a friend that's looking out for them. And it's a consultative approach to walking that person through what's best for them and why this is going to be successful for both of you. And it's a partnership and it's a win-win. So understanding how that person likes to interact with other people and what they find interesting as an individual, not as an employer, as a company, is a really good first step into kind of getting into that friend zone, getting into that, you know, that rapport, building that casual relationship. And then you can kind of get into the deeper stuff. Obviously, you really want to know as much as you can beforehand about their needs and their problems and things like that and the questions that you need to ask and be prepared to ask. Where do you start? You start with LinkedIn? I usually start with LinkedIn, LinkedIn and Twitter, and then just a lot of searches on the web for you know as many different things as I can. This is something that I have my virtual assistant do. Just surface me all the information. And once I have the dossier from her or the, like the spreadsheet from her, then I can go out and dig in and do my own research after that. For a sales hacker right now, like we do pretty big deal. Obviously, we have a partnership with Salesforce, which is like, you know, a, a big account for us, you know, $50 billion company. We're talking obviously with some other big companies that we work with. And and those are the deals for us. I have to go and do a lot of that, this kind of work on. A lot of our smaller deals like, don't require such depth. But you know, at Udemy, we closed partnerships with Wiley Publishing, Pearson, O'Reilly, a couple of universities. You know, those are some of those deals that you had to do that work on. But yeah, I start with LinkedIn and Twitter and then just do a lot of deep searches on, okay, so I see this company had a failed partnership here. I wonder why that wasn't successful. Like Figuring out those kind of things were like, okay, well, why wouldn't you do something with this? Or why did this fail in the past? What have you done in the past? Things like that. And if you know what they've done already, then you can get a lot further ahead in your deal because you're basically getting ahead of a lot of stuff that you would see later on. You've done your homework. Yeah, because you've done your research. Let's talk about the conference. What's the date of the conference? So June 15th and 16th, we got Sales Machine, New York City. It's a partnership with Salesforce. And we got some really amazing speakers, Gary Vaynerchuk, Simon Sinek, Ariana Huffington, Billy Bean, and then about Seth. practitioners, Seth Godin's in there, yeah. Frederick Eklund from Million Dollar Listing. And then we got about 40 practitioners that are VPs of sales or sales ops, customer success at tech companies. I think we have you know, companies like GE and United Health in there as well. So some bigger companies, Ritas. So it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. About 2,000 people come to connect with the other people that are there, come to learn get entertained. And we'll have about, I think it's about 25, 30 vendors. So a lot of new technology that'll be there. Some of the smaller guys, we uh, made room for a lot of the innovators and the up and comers in the, uh, in the space. So that'll be great. New York City, June 15th and 16th. What's uh, the venue? Um, 
It's Pier 94. Okay. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. We'd love to uh, get as many people there as possible. It's going to be a fun one. Well, thanks so much for sharing this with us. We'll, of course, put a link to the book out. And it is out what day? What's the release date? It's out. out. It's out. Grab a copy if you like it. Obviously, we'd love a review. You can reach me at max at saleshacker.com or on Twitter at maxalts. Always open to feedback, agreements, disagreements, conversations, whatever you, whatever you have around the book. It only makes us all better. Thanks for being here, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. That was Max Altschuler, and he is with Sales Hacker. You can find Sales Hacker at saleshacker.com, and you can also find information about their 2016 conference in New York coming up in a week or so at the website. You can also find all that information in the show notes along with Max's Twitter handle, at Max A-L-T-S, Max Alts. You can find him there. I'm Anthony Anarino. I'm your host of In the Arena, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. And when you go there, do sign up for my Sunday newsletter. It is the best piece of work I produce all week, and it will show up in your inbox Sunday morning to help you get the week started right. Also, visit me at YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Anarino. And until next time, I will see you in the arena. I am Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. When you go there, you're going to be assaulted by a pop-up banner when you try to click on something or when you try to leave, and that's so that I can get your first name and your email address. I'm going to send you every Sunday morning content that you can use in your sales game or your business game or your success game. That's long form, actionable, something that you're going to be able to look at Monday morning and say, I've got ideas and I can get to work improving myself and my results. Also, go visit me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. Do subscribe there where I'll send you video content, me talking into the camera, sharing ideas with you or interviewing other people. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you next time right here in the arena.